This episode of IPv6 Buzz is brought to you by IT Pro TV. Start or grow your IT career with online IT training from IT Pro TV. And we have a special offer for IPv6 Buzz listeners. Sign up and save 30% off all plans. ITPro.tv slash buzz and use promo code buzz at checkout and save 30% off all plans. Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. Quick reminder, there's sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Buzz and all the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. So if you're interested, just go to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship for details. And if you got something cool working with V6, hey, we want to hear about it. So you know, come join us on the IPv6 Buzz and uh, we can chat all about it. I'm Ed Horley with my co-hosts, Tom Coffey and Scott Hogue. And today we're going to be talking about sort of enterprise IPv6 adoption and career mapping and some other fun stuff with our guest, Ben Bitfield from uh, Johnson & Johnson. So, hey, Ben, welcome. Let's jump in and do some questions. But uh, uh, I, I, I'm particularly interested because you've been working on V6 for quite a long time now because you did a bunch of design and deployment work at Sprint, now T-Mobile, right, for, for probably a decade or more. And I'm really curious what sort of motivated you to do a career change from basically classic service provider space into enterprise space. Like, what's making you join all of us in the crazy enterprise space world? <laughs> yeah, um, it, it was, uh, like, like you said, I've been doing a, about a decade or so over at, at Sprint where we went, um, you know, from from nothing over to, to IPv6 only. And then joined T-Mobile as part of that merger as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, being at T-Mobile was interesting because um, T-Mobile is the, like, I mean, they've been the leader in IPv6 for, for years and years and years, right? So um, it was a fantastic opportunity to be there with folks like um, like, like Stefan Legerholm, um, Cameron Byrne. Um, so my, my concern of being there was, uh, what happens in five years or so, right? Because they're such an early adopter and, you know, V6 is so prevalent in the network. You know, was I um, working myself out of a job, you know, within the next few years, right? Uh, so I was kind of thinking about, you know, where do I want my, where do I want my career to go? What do I want to do? So I kind of got thinking, well, you know, enterprise is kind of the next phase of, you know, adopters in the IPv6 world as I kind of see it, right? The service providers are, you know, if, if they're not there, you know, they hopefully have some plan to get there soon. So it's like, well, you know, if I want to continue this career I have in IPv6, you know, enterprise is probably where I should start looking and you know, working down that path. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, it's, I, I would agree with you. I mean, like you're surrounded by like, you know, I mean, Stefan, we had back on episode, believe it or not, four, <laughs> way back in the way back in the early ages of the podcast. Uh, he was very kind and came on and, 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 and talked all about the, the work that he was doing at T-Mobile and, and the work that Cameron had, had obviously done around a bunch of the standards there. I mean, just super early adopters and folks who were literally helping write the RFC specs on a bunch of different things like, you know, Cameron on the on the 464X lot side. So you certainly were in fantastic IPv6 company over at, over at T-Mobile on that side. I mean, that's uh, that must've been pretty exciting getting a chance to work with them. Um, oh yeah, it, it was, yeah, it was absolutely amazing to be like working with people that like you said, basically wrote the RFC for, you know, 464X lot, right? Yeah. So uh, it was definitely um, a hard decision to make, right? Because here I am basically, at the leader in the, the pinnacle of the industry where I am, it's like, well, 
all right, do it. <laughs> do I really want to go or do I want to stay? Right. So, right. Well, I, and, and I think that's a, it's, it's a really interesting sort of pivot point. I think this has a lot to do with what's happening in the market right now. It's just, it's just sort of my, my feeling, but I feel like service providers have sort of figured the V6 thing out. I mean, I don't know if that's a good read on it or not. Um, but I saw so, so I'd be curious of sort of your, your interpretation of that, but I sort of feel like most of them, at least on the, on the big space for the big providers have, have really sort of figured the V6 story out and understand how to operationally do it now. And, uh, and the unique opportunities are sort of opening up in the enterprise space and not necessarily in the service provider space, which, what's your feeling there? You sort of agree or. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely see that. Yeah. Cause I mean, we, we had to do it out of necessity, right? Like we, we have tens of millions of subscribers, which is, you know, not supportable with, you know, RFC 1918 space. Right. So we, we had to move to V6 only. Um, so now I feel, um, Maybe maybe the enterprise may not necessarily need to do that just because of V six, um, you know, V4 constraints. Um, but if they're forward thinking enough, they probably should be re realizing it um, that this isn't going to last forever, right? Yeah, yeah. If you want to roll out IPv six on another network, well, it's already rolled out at Sprint and T Mobile. So, what better place than a large, you know, international conglomerate with a service provider scale type? infrastructure well I, I, I sort of, I'm sort of wondering if uh, the 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 assertion that service providers is pretty much there with v6 I mean I I think I see the same thing from from my perspective which is definitely more on the enterprise side now having started out more on the service provider side with v6 but you know that was very different in 2008 or 2009 what it meant to be an IPv6 service provider. And I wonder about the the sort of underlying service provider architectures, like with a mobile provider and, and T-Mobile in particular, 464X LAT, you know, essentially IPv6 only, you know, say comparing that to uh, those deployments of CG NAT for say broadband uh, ISPs. And then of course, core networking where you have the option to potentially do V6, uh, you know, a V6, the equivalent of a V6 underlay in the core with, you know, V4, not even necessarily using MPLS as, as a way to do that. So, so it kind of means there's all sorts of different ways that a service provider can deploy IPv6. And so when we say, well, service providers pretty much taken care of, it's like, I know that that's true, but I wonder just in terms of what those deployments actually look like you know, how they vary. Um, and, oh, and details, sort of, details. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose I could answer my own question by saying it just sort of depends on, you know, what they're, what the services that they're service providing. Um, but, but I wonder, I would like to hear sort of Ben's take on, on that based on his, his uh, worm's eye view of, of, uh, of the service provider having just come from one. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I would love to know the details of, about, you know, especially on the wireline side. Right. Um, but that's, that's not my world necessarily. Right. On the, on the mobile space. Um, I, th I think the ones that have gone there, like on the sprint side, we've basically followed the T-Mobile the model of 464X that, right. Mm -hmm. um, by the time we were ready to deploy, um, you know, a NAT64 solution, you know, they had already rolled it out with, tens of millions of subscribers, right? So that was, you know, an, an easy uh, solution for us to, to follow and pursue, right? Um, and I know other carriers like in, in Europe and elsewhere have followed that model as well. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, would, I would definitely love to see, especially not necessarily the large like wired ISPs, but the 
smaller like mid-market ones to see if they have any real plans because they they maybe have enough ipv4 for the next year or two of subscribers but you know, i mean the, the 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 market's empty right so yeah um you can either delay a little bit or charge an or pay an arm and a leg to to get ips yeah see if see what you can do in terms of the open market and if can you hold out long enough that that maybe maybe it crashes on the other side <laughs> i think you'd be waiting a long time for that but that's just my opinion well, maybe I'd like to touch a little bit around some of your decision making, you know, a little bit more in the decision making process about why you sort of found V6 in the enterprise the next sort of compelling space. Was it like a career advancement thing of saying like, this is where my skills are going to be the most useful. And so I think I'm going to have the best opportunity sort of career wise to sort of, you know, jump over into the enterprise space. Or was it more like, you know, this is these these are the shops that are really going to be solving the next set of interesting questions around V6. Like, was there a particular motivation around it? And it could be completely selfish. I just want to continue to make money, and <laughs> like, I totally get that one. <laughs> but um, I did. Uh, a little of A, a little of B. Um, okay. Like I mentioned, uh, I I feel like you know that's the the best kind of career path for me it, to have you know, a, a five or 10 year roadmap, right? Like hopefully at T-Mobile, I work myself out of a job and everything's V6 only and everything's hunky-dory, right? But right. also it's, you know, when I saw this opportunity come along, it's a, there's a different set of challenges in the enterprise versus the service provider world, right? Um, relatively speaking, you know, a, a mobile network is relatively straightforward, right? We're, the, the network is the product. We want to address the handsets. Um, and you really only have two operating systems to deal with, right? You have Android and iOS. Whereas if you talk to enterprise, you have a different network architecture. Um, you have you have data centers versus all these branch offices to deal with. Um, the address planning is you know a little bit different just because you have different users and use cases. Um, and the 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 end clients could be anything right you'll have your guest wi-fi you'll have your your windows your macs but also like you know in the pharmaceutical industry you're gonna have random you know pill manufacturing machines or factory floors and all those kinds of you know yeah, IoT, right, right IoT exactly yeah. yeah yeah so yeah. those will be you know it's it's fun to have a good challenge to uh to look at and see all right how how am i going to address this and fix this right because some of those are decades old and you know they're they're not going to support you know native v6 obviously so how do you what what kind of transition mechanism mm -hmm. you know can you implement there so yeah well at a service provider you probably have old 2g you got some pagers you got some old stuff that doesn't do ipv6 <laughs> but you also have really modern things like an evolved packet core you've got sdn you're doing network slicing you're doing first responder type prioritization, you're deploying applications and workloads in cloud infrastructures for various, you know, large customers and hosting applications. You're doing much of that in the in cloud infrastructure. And many enterprises may be more, less traditional, may not run an MPLS network, may not have network slicing or overlays or move as many of their applications to cloud or containers or some of these other things. So in, in many ways, a 5G service provider could be quite advanced compared to an enterprise. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of which enterprise you go you go into mm -hmm. and what opportunities you have in front of you. I mean, maybe maybe that leads to the next question, which is, 
you know, do you see, uh, you know, at least from your experience of, of going in now and, and seeing a few enterprise uh, folks, and I'm assuming you did, did some interviewing around, but, uh, you know, on the enterprise company side, do you think they actually understand the opportunities that IPv6 provides for them? Do they actually understand, like, you know, clearly that was a pretty easy lift in terms of maybe Sprint and T-Mobile in terms of understanding the use case and what it solves for. But do you think enterprise companies actually sort of get it? Do you think there's, do you think they see the opportunity side or do they just see this as like a burden that they have to get through? What's your, what's your fast take on that one? Uh, on some of the, the larger ones that I've talked to, I, I think they kind of see it as necessity, right? You know, as you, as you move to the cloud, as you just add more servers and everything like, you know, a 10 dot space is not going to last forever, right? So you, there, there has to be some kind of roadmap and plan to get there. Um, some, you know, maybe more aggressively and, you know, wholeheartedly adopting it. Um, some, you know, have that little struggle of like, yeah, okay, we, we have to do this. So let's, you know, just bite the bullet and do it. Um, I can definitely see, you know, the, not the major large, you know, massive corporations, you know, just keep kicking the can down the road, right? You know, I tend to ask to last forever. I don't need to do this. Um, you know, IPv6 is a fad. It's not going to do anything, right? Um, unfortunately, I, I still see that from quite a uh, large amount of folks. So, yeah, and and I think we hear similar things. It's sort of like you know, when you need it, you need it, right? and and you realize you need it. It's it's pretty obvious. Like that, we're we get a chance to work with a whole a whole variety of of, of customers that are out there and. Some of it's like, hey, we're out of V4. The only thing we can go to is V6, right? It's the only opportunity we have. And others are we're a little bit more conservative or maybe don't have to use address space in the same way. And they're sort of like, hey, what are, you, what are, you, what are we worried about? What's the other motivation around doing it? And we, you know, there are, diff- there are other business use cases that, that make sense, but it really has to be a business and, and financial advantage over maybe just a we're out of addresses argument, <laughs> uh, at least on the enterprise side. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 an interesting state to be in right now. I feel like we're at the crossroads in terms of like the whole set of like who's skilled around V6 and where are your opportunities uh, sort of going forward in the market. I feel like we're at a little bit of a transition of moving from like, hey, you could have built up a whole skill set of V6 within a service provider operator role, right? And maybe you want to take that and go move that over to the enterprise because it might be more financially, you know, a better opportunity to to go work on interesting projects and interesting problems. Um, and it cer- certainly sounds like that was part of the decision-making process for yourself. I interrupt the podcast today for a quick word from our sponsor, IT Pro TV. Do you remember the ransomware attack on the gas pipeline from last year? That is an example of how cybersecurity professionals are in demand. There are more than 500,000 open cybersecurity roles. And you can become a cybersecurity professional with some online training. It's never too late to start a new career in IT or move up the ladder. And IT Pro TV, today's sponsor, has you covered. From CompTIA and Cisco to EC Council and Microsoft. IT Pro TV is offering more than 5,800 hours of on-demand training. And they, they teach it with engaging hosts. They present information in a talk show format so it's not boring. They're live every day if you like live content. And the shows that they record each day, those go studio to web in 24 hours. 
The courses are conveniently listed by category, certification, and job role. And you can stream IT Pro TV's courses live or on demand worldwide via really any platform you want Roku, Apple TV, PC, or their iOS or Android apps. Learn IT, pass your certs, and get a great job with IT Pro TV. Visit itpro.tv slash buzz for 30% off all plans and use promo code buzz at checkout. That's itpro.tv slash buzz and use promo code buzz at checkout. One more time, itpro.tv slash buzz and use promo code buzz at checkout to save 30% off all plans. And now back to the podcast. I just wanted to hit on maybe some key takeaways from your time at the service provider side. So working at both Sprint and T-Mobile um, around V6. So is there anything you felt like you really are, are a set of lessons that you're carrying forward in terms of into the enterprise work that you're doing now? Like really hard lessons in the V6 side. And you're like, hey guys, don't do these things. <laughs> these are huge mistakes. Don't make the mistake that I did uh, around that. Um, well, I, I've definitely made my, my mistakes uh, <laughs> on, the, on the V6 side over on Sprint and T-Mobile. But um, I think the, the biggest thing is just just the experience um, in, in deploying this and trying to scope things appropriately. You know, you, you come in and everyone wants, hey, I want V6 everywhere. It's like, okay, well, you can't boil the ocean. Let's, let's take a step back. And, all right, what where do we get the most bang for our buck or what's the smallest thing, you know, the, with the least risk that we can kind of, everyone kind of dip their toe on the water a little bit and get some experience with, you know, the, the engineering teams and the operations teams before you put your kind of mission critical things on it. Right. And, you know, it, it's still, you know, the, the scale of the company that I'm at, you know, we're still talking about a large you know, global network. So, you know, it's similar enough to a service provider almost where, you know, a lot of that experience, I think, still applies. And um, I think the, the kind of address planning aspect, you know, being able to take a step back and say, all right, what does the network look like? What is it going to look like in five years, 10 years? You know, trying to brainstorm and see how can we best, you know, summarize and aggregate this to, you know, so you don't have a fragment routing table where you have, you know, a, a hundred, you know, V4 entries for policy or something you know, on a firewall, right? You know, I can, right. I can aggregate this and cover, cover it with a single, you know, V6 summary route and just, I can replace a hundred entries with a single line, right? That's, uh, that's, that's always a fun thing to do and um, showing people, you know, watching their kind of mind explode when you can replace those policies. Yeah. Have you noticed, have you noticed uh, in terms of lessons carrying forward, have you noticed that there were things that they just, the enterprise teams just hadn't thought about at all in terms of like saying like, oh, I get it. We should be thinking more about networks versus like, I don't have to worry about how many hosts I have in a given network anymore. That just goes away in V6, right? Was there anything that you sort of noticed in, in conversations that you're sort of like, oh yeah, that was, that was a, that was definitely a V4 thinking thing. And I've got to help you guys get past the V4 thinking side of, of the equation. Cause I know that's always a light bulb, light bulb moment for a lot of folks. Right, right. And I, I think there's, you know, the at least the, the teams I'm working with so far have the decent understanding of like, okay, everything gets a 64, you know, I don't need to necessarily be sizing my, you know, land segments, you know, as well, this is a 24, this is a 25, whatever, right. Um, but in, in just laying out the address planning, 
in some instances, it's where forget about that V4 know mindset on everything you know address everything for you know simplicity and consistency don't try to do it exactly for the capacity you need right just make a standard make it simple consistent and just move on with it tom is cheering (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm weeping tears of joy over here ben to hear you say that (laughs) (laughs) but seriously i mean that's you know it is uh it is this puzzling little phenomenon where, you know, VLSM sort of saved us and doomed us at the same time where it's like, oh, great, we can, everything gets its custom subnet, you know, and now it's like, oh, crap, everything has a custom subnet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And it's great when you're trying to preserve addresses, but then, yeah. It it just makes your routing table horror, right? Yeah, you know, and and again, uh, we kind of go back and forth about how much that matters these days, but it, the, even even if you set aside, you know, I, I don't necessarily have to preserve router memory, uh, you know, depending on whether it's east-west or north-south traffic, what what the routing topology and policies look like. Maybe I don't. Maybe I'm not that concerned about, you know, saving a few extra um, bits of memory. Uh, but just from from an administrative standpoint, you know, just to be able to look at a prefix and to 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 know that it has a particular function or a particular location. And that that's consistent of prefixes of that size, that's incredibly powerful. Um, and you just with v4, it's just so hard, if not impossible, to pull that off anymore. And that's not to say that we don't leverage all the the naming and mapping tools heavily that that allow us to sort of forget about the address. Uh, but we're all, you know, at some level, I just default back to my 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 primitive state of being a network architect, network engineer, and and just thinking about the addressing in those terms and. And just, you know, recognizing that opportunity. So I'm grateful, so grateful to hear that you're taking that from mm-hmm. Ben, from that service provider environment and, and bringing it into the enterprise environment, because I think it does, it does get lost there. I think, uh, you know, it's just, we're just so mired in trying to preserve address space uh, in, in that environment that it gets lost, I think. Yeah, I think every, every year it gets more difficult to achieve the principle of uh, parsimony from Occam's razor, you know, re- reaching simplicity with IPv4, but you could achieve that level of nirvana with IPv6 potentially. You know, <laughs> simpler is better. <laughs> simpler is better, easier to maintain, you know, more scalable, you know. Yeah, we're not offering just better network management here. We're offering total better enlightenment. Total enlightenment. <laughs> Reascending to a higher plane of consciousness uh, by looking at all hex digits <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm here let me introduce you to dhcp v6 and slack and ula and oh, and wait. our dnss <laughs> that's all right <laughs> you're, you're ruining and illusion. some device that and some devices don't support dhcp v6 <laughs> so there you go <laughs> hey man our all color landscape of nirvana just went black and white but that's okay because black and white is beautiful in its own way too yeah it's true oh well one other thing i was going to add is just you know if if you can make it as simple as possible like that, that's an easy way to get buy-in from like the operations guy. Because operations and engineering, like they're everyone's busy enough the way it is, right? Mm-hmm. So you you try throwing V6 at them, they look at that address and their eyes just gloss over. It's like I don't want to deal with that, right? But if you can say, all right, I'm going to replace these 20 lines of the config with a single statement, it's like oh well, okay, maybe I'll maybe I'll listen a little more. And yeah, mm-hmm. you can you can have the 
you know, the, the digits have some meaning behind it. Like, yeah. oh, I recognize that this hex debt here, like, oh, this is my infrastructure for the cell phone tower, right? Like, yeah. oh, I, I recognize this and, you know, yeah, it should be in DNS and it should, you know, you shouldn't have to worry about it, but there's still, you know, some human readability aspect mm-hmm. to it, right? Yeah. I mean, you tell them, okay, you're going to address this once. Now, remember that network two weeks ago, you've addressed three times in the last 18 months. You're never going to have to readdress this again. Now, the operations folks are, are sending you, you know, flowers and candy for years. You think every day is Valentine's Day. For- <laughs> so you're never going to have to readdress this. I guarantee it. <laughs> yeah, that's just... That, that part alone, just to, like the argument for big enterprises, especially large organizations that are trying to deal with mergers and acquisitions, that's just a godsend of 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 not having to do that work is is a pretty big it's a pretty big and desirable thing for them, right? To avoid uh, going forward, I can't. Yeah, could you imagine the phone calls between Sprint and T-Mobile? Like, hey, are you guys using ten dot one dot one slash twenty four? Yeah, how'd you know? Are you using one seventy two sixteen? Oh yeah. But all over the place, man. Uh, okay, we got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, merging networks when you have global, unique global unicast addresses. I imagine merging T-Mobile and Sprint on the global V6 side was probably relatively straightforward in terms of that's just like a routing problem. It's just like, where do we want to route peer and do we want to converge ASs or not? And our address space is our address space. It's all globally unique. We don't have an issue with overlap or trying to figure out whose address space is what, right? And no, uh, totally, yeah. I mean, the from the from the handset migration perspective, like you said, it was just a matter of routing. Like, all right, where, where, where do we want to appear? Like, all right, this handset pool needs to talk to this server for, you know, picture mail, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just a few things like that. And, it, you know, we it was super straightforward from that. On the V4 side, yeah, it was a, it was a nightmare of NATs and readdressing <laughs> and everything. But, you know, on the handset perspective, and th- this is something that I'm, um, actually kind of proud of during the handset migrations if you look out on the the world ipv6 launch um, you know, website that has you know the tracking percentages of all the isps and carriers and everything mm-hmm. um you know t-mobile's been at you know 90 plus percent for years and years and years right um if you go out and look in the the fall of 2020 that's when we did our you know migrations basically from the sprint you know wireless core to the you know t-mobile core um, and you can see that the T-Mobile one didn't really drop in any percentages, right? I mean, you know, a, a minute amount, but not, you know, uh, an insane amount. But if you look at the Sprint one, you know, it, it drops to zero, right? Because we just, <laughs> we we lost all traffic on the network. But, you know, we we had such a high percentage of V6 only devices as well that, you know, it didn't really, you know, we didn't have to worry about, you know, moving V4 IPs or V4 tonnage or anything like that, you know, on the, on the T-Mobile core with that, so right, and then and it's got and it must have been pretty straightforward just to add your guys's global prefixes to the NAT64 DNS64 configuration, and like you can just be like you, we either just have additional capacity for of adding all the Sprint nodes on to what we're doing with T-Mobile, or we just direct it all to T-Mobile and put more capacity on whatever geographies T-Mobile wants to operate for the for that side of it, right? So. Right, right. It, it was all, you know, hardware planning and, you know, the, the tower capacity and all that stuff mm-hmm. and everything from, from an IP capacity standpoint. I mean, sure, we, we still had some, you know, legacy subscribers that were still on before that we had to concern ourselves with, right? But the vast majority were V6 only. And, 
I mean, I, I forget exactly what amount of space they have, you know, a 28 or 29, you know, some insane amount where, all right, yeah, we've got capacity on the gateways, just swing it all over, right? So. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> that's pretty cool be able to do something like that. That's, that's, that's really, really neat. Um, and, and a rare opportunity, right, for something as, as large as that to sort of group together. That's a really cool experience you got there, man. That's, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, um, you know, just overall, I mean, experience-wise, because you've, you've gotten your feet a little bit of wet on the enterprise side, is there anything, just guidance, uh, any sort of uh, words of, of wisdom of like stepping over and saying like, hey, you know, these are the things you're going to run into. Uh, this is some of the stuff, you know, you want to share or, you know, resources, anything else that you want to share with the audience just about uh, sort of tackling projects on the enterprise the enterprise side of the camp you know coming to the dark side <laughs> <laughs> um I, I would just say you know try to have somewhat of a plan in place right like i mentioned earlier you can't just boil the ocean have a, a targeted approach uh, think it through plan it out you know before you move on anything right um you know have have the have an approach in place and then just you know, as far as resources and information, you know, uh, Aaron has a bunch of case studies out there for, you know, service providers, enterprise, everyone. Um, the, the Infoblox Circle of Excellence has a whole bunch of, you know, writings that I've been using, um, you know, and, and just podcasts. I mean, there's tons of stuff on the enterprise space out there. So that's definitely, you know, a welcome um, wealth of knowledge for me to, you know, try to, to bone up on that. Uh, side of things the, the dark side of it, if you will <laughs> <laughs> well i know a few people that write for the for the for the infoblox one <laughs> so tom and scott write quite a few articles for the infoblox center of excellence and occasionally i drop one here or there too so if uh, you folks are wondering who you want to blame for any of the poorly written articles up there those are all mine tom and scott write great ones <laughs> so, so you could do that and then hopefully you're listening to the podcast you're already on on the road for that side i, I and i I would agree, Aaron, and, and the other RIRs actually have some really good information available. Um, so definitely, if you're if you're on start on the journey, you can obviously read a bunch of books. So uh, you can read Tom's book and Scott's book, and you can uh, pass my book off to the poor system admin and say like, go please go read this, <laughs> see if they have a chance of, of getting V six working. Um, be like, what do you mean? I, I turned it off. <laughs> <laughs> now I got to turn it back on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no. I hope you have MDM or, or Active yeah. Directory good policy. We can turn yes. it back on one shot. <laughs> uh, too funny. Uh, it's, you know, inter enterprise problems, right? I mean, that's the reality, is that especially if you had like a division and it was like, oh, V6 is a problem or a security team and like this area, we got to turn it all off. And, and then you have this weird, like weird state of like half a quarter of your network over here doesn't run v6 at all because it was all explicitly turned off. This portion of the network is a mishmash of policy, and over here it's got everything turned on. And over here they test piloted with v6, and you're like, oh my gosh, where am I at? <laughs> yeah. When they read Tom's book, they'll be like, man, we already rolled out FEC zero. I read Tom's book; it doesn't say anything at all about FEC zero. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> it's like site local addressing is like the way to the way to roll. It. What good is this book? It doesn't say anything. <laughs> Where's my ULA plan? I don't have my ULA plan. Oh no. You know, it feels like the book's really old now, back all the way back to 2014. But then I'm like, yeah, I, I did dodge the site local bullet there. Because if, if it out a few years earlier, I'd be like, don't forget about site local addresses. <laughs> so, oh, I still had to write about that in my book, even though it was my book only came out a year before you, just because of the 
old artifacts, remnants hanging around about DNS stuff with yeah, freaking that's right. local. That's right. Make, makes you want to cry. You know, Ben's like, oh yeah, I lived through all of that. I don't have to, I don't, I don't have to deal with that. Luckily, <laughs> I switched over to enterprise after I have to deal with them. <laughs> yeah. And then when they read Eric in my book, they're like, oh, that's where we got to turn it all off. <laughs> <laughs> This is scary. And with the, you know, with the Linux uh, infrastructure, actually compile IPv6 out of the kernel. Make sure that you've completely removed it from the kernel so that there's not even any way to turn it on. Yeah. And you got to do that in Windows too. And and your printers. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Oh, Lord. Okay. We're being cynical old people here. (laughs) Ben's like, what are you guys talking about? (laughs) No. He's like, well, welcome to the fall, Ben. You could, you, you're, you're a, formally over with your one of us now on the enterprise side. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to V6 on printers. Let me, uh, let me tell you. That. <laughs> <laughs> you got to love it. Got to love it. That and all the sensor networks and building control systems and everything else you're going to get to deal with. It'll be, it'll be a joy. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Do people still have a printer VLAN? Just asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, printers in the cloud now scott in the cloud. <laughs> well hey i mean you know real quick i mean tom jokes about that but i imagine uh you know ben you know service provider side for sprint and t-mobile probably the cloud side wasn't as big of an issue but i imagine now for the enterprise discussions cloud's got to be like top of the list of like you know huge things and efforts that everyone's talking through has that been has that been something that you've really been hearing a lot uh with within the teams and the audience and the other folks that you're talking to, or is that sort of like, oh no, don't worry about that till later? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely. It seems like everyone. I mean, even on the service provider side, right? We were looking at you know trials and um, looking that way as well, right? I mean, everyone's moving to the cloud, so it's definitely. Um, you know, I I definitely need to you know read and you know get up to speed on it. And it seems like every other week there's another announcement from Amazon on you know this feature supports X or whatever on, on the V6 side. So it's, it's good to see them, you know, tackling that head on and, you know, getting support across, you know, their ecosystem as well. So. Yeah. They just, what did they just announce, Scott? They just announced, what was it? V6 only VPCs. Was that one of the things that came out relatively recently? I think, I think that was one of the things that they just announced. Um, Yeah. V6 networking, uh, VPCs, uh, Lambda. Oh, Lambda services too. Yeah. So you the can AWS, IPAM, the NAT64, DNS64, and IPv6 only subnets. Yeah. Yeah. IPv6 only subnets. Wow. Lots of stuff coming out. Uh, that's sort of, that's great news for all our listeners. You're getting more and more options in public cloud space around v6. So we should all take that as a positive development. That's, that's going to roll downstream for all of your enterprise goodness and deployments around, you know, public cloud. So I, I see that as positive. Well, awesome. Well, hey. I guess, unlike V6, we've run out of space for the podcast. So many thanks to today's guest, Ben Bitfield. So how can the audience follow you on the internet? How can folks reach out if they want to get a hold of you? Um, I'm out there on Twitter at Bitty, um, B-I-T-T-I-E. Um, I'm not a frequent poster, but I'm out there reading a lot. So I, if you need me, you can get a hold of me there, or I'm at LinkedIn at uh, Ben Bitfield. Great. You can reach the IPv6 Buzz podcast on Twitter at IPv6 Buzz. You can also hit up each one of us on Twitter. Uh, Tom is at IPv6 Tom. Scott is at Scott Hogue. And you can reach me at E. Horley. Thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. 
If you like the show, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, if you like this podcast, we really recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Day 2 Cloud, and the Network Break podcast, and all the other great technical content over at packetpushers.net. So long and until next time, we'll see you on the internet, the IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.